The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. The Father is in me, and the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or else, believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask, ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You guys can have a seat. The Gospel of John has offered us many notable in many quotable passages. It's, this book is a gift to better understand first our salvation and our Savior. Throughout this book, we have encountered what's called the I am statements. These statements were infuriating to the Jews because these statements, when they heard them, they understood what Jesus was saying. He was pointing back to the first I am statement that we see in scripture, that I am statement that happens with God and Moses when Moses goes, who are you? And he says, I am who I am. And Jesus, he declares, this is who I am in seven I am statements throughout the book. Now, I just read to you the sixth I am statement, but I want to remind us of what these I am statements are because these I am statements are offered to us by Christ himself to describe to us who he is and most importantly what he's offering. The first statement we saw in John 6, I am the bread of life. The bread sustains physical life, so too Christ offers and sustains our spiritual life. The second one we saw is I am the light of the world, John 8. In a world lost in darkness, Christ offers himself as a guiding light. The third I am statement we saw in John 10, I am the door of the sheep. Jesus protects his followers as shepherds protect their flock from predators. The fourth that we've seen is I am the resurrection and the life. Death is not the final word for those in Christ. The fifth I am statement we've seen is I am the good shepherd. Jesus is committed to caring and watching over those who are his. The sixth. The one that I read this morning, I'm sure the one that's, that is very um, you know, quotable in your own mind, the one that you know well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus offers the way to God. We're going to get to the seventh um, I am statement in a couple of months when we're in John 15, I am the true vine. But for today, we get to focus in on this sixth I am statement. This statement is one of exclusivity. I want you just to notice at the very beginning the definite articles that are being used here. Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, the life. He's not saying I'm a way, a truth, and a life. There is a definite exclusive reality to this statement. You know, I'm struck by how important these statements are to our knowledge of, again, salvation and our Savior, and how attacked these statements can be. But one of the things that I've noticed about these statements is that some of them are more palatable by our world than others. And kind of up to this point, the last 
five I am statements that we've got to look at, all the way from I am the light of the world to I am the good shepherd. All of those statements, the world might disagree, but they're not going to attack us over them. Because the world can handle us saying, well, our Savior offers life, like, like the bread of life. Like we're allowed from our world to, to hunger and be filled by a spirit that is outside of us. There's kind of no issue there. Our, our, our world finds it okay for us to say that my Savior is the guide to my life. Looking at I am the light of the world. I mean, in many ways, this language has been stolen by other false religions. They go, oh, I'm following this way and it enlightens me. It, it shows me where I'm going and what I'm to do. Our world finds it okay to talk about God as, 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 as our Savior being our protector. This is who I look to. To figure out where to go. Our world only assumes that it's reasonable to trust that our Savior should bring us hope in our life. Again, looking at the resurrection and, and the life. And the world assumes that whatever and whomever we worship is going to protect you as the good shepherd. But everything comes unhinged and unglued when we start talking about the exclusive character of Christ. Our world can tolerate religion. It's the interesting part. It can tolerate religion because religion is the belief in and worship of something. But our world is intolerant of any message that presents itself as being the only way. In this I am statement, what we're looking at today in the Gospel of John 14 is this exclusive statement that if you want to get to God, you have to come through Christ, that's when our world doesn't know what to do with us. That's when our world says, uh-uh, I can go only so far, I'm not willing to go there because if I admit that, then everything else in my life that is opposed to that, you're saying is wrong and they hate that. But what's interesting is that we could spend some time kind of understanding, uh, unpacking where has this hatred towards this exclusive um, salvation comes from? How is it that our world hates this exclusive language of Christ alone is our only way to God? You know, I, I could look at the fact that black and white realities and right and wrong truth has really been lost with the rise of postmodernism over the last, I don't know, 20, 40 years, somewhere in there. I could also look at the fact that our world is trying to strip God out of our language in order to take care of our guilt, but that doesn't do anything because that just removes, you know, any, any language for, for forgiveness with taking God out of that language. But what I've noticed with this conversation of why is it that our world does not like exclusive language that Christ is our only way to God, what I've noticed is that there's nothing new under the sun, is that people have always struggled against thinking that there's only one way to God, that the enemy has always had one chief game plan to tear down Christ, and that is let's offer the world many options. We can see this in Scripture. I just want to point out a, a couple of them. I, I want to um, just kind of mentally take you to two places, and then I want to read one other place. Exodus, the Exodus in Egypt. When Moses, after hearing that God is I am who I am, God is Yahweh, when Moses walked into Pharaoh and says, let my people go, what did Pharaoh say? He laughed. He laughed at Moses, not because he goes, Yahweh's not God. No, he laughed at Moses because he goes, I've never heard of that God. 
That God doesn't matter to me. That God's not my God. Who cares what that God has to say? No, I'm not going to follow that God. Pharaoh's issue wasn't that God was God. Pharaoh's issue was that I don't recognize that God. Again, the enemy likes to put all of these multiple ways of, of satisfying ourselves before us. Second one that I could go to, 1 Kings 18. Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal. They didn't have many gods like the Egyptians. No, they just had one false god, and they thought this god is the best god. So they had had kind of a showdown of the gods, if you will, where Elijah set up that whole scene of build an altar and slaughter a calf, but make sure that your god brings the fire. You can read all of that that goes on in 1 Kings 18, in 1 Kings 18, where, hey, newsflash, Baal, not a real god, nothing happened. God, Yahweh, totally real God, burns up the altar, the stone, the water, and everything there because God is real. But there's one other place I want to take us. That's Acts 17. Because what we can see, again, from the very beginning and even to the very end and even to now, the enemy has been using the same method to turn people away from Yahweh, and that is let's present them many options. The world doesn't like exclusive language. The world likes inclusive in many language. This is Acts 17. Paul is in Athens at the Areopagus. says this in Acts 17, 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. I perceive that in every way you're very tolerant. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor does he, is he served by human hands as though he's needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He has made one man, every nation of mankind, to live on all the faces of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far off from each one of us. And in him we live and move and have being. And even as some of our own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. And being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art of the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And to this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. What do we see from all of these passages, looking at all of these stories? Is that from the very beginning, man has tried to find a path towards God. And in trying to find a path towards God, man has been trying to find peace. Because where God is, there is peace. Some use many paths, many gods. Some use the wrong God. But what we see Christ declaring is that there is one way to that peace. And that peace is found through Christ. This gets us back to John. We see that this question of what is the way is really what sets up this whole discussion. Last time that we were in this, all the way back um, four weeks ago when it was Easter time, 
What we looked at was, was God said, listen, let not your hearts be troubled. You can believe in God and I am going away to prepare a place for you. And oh, by the way, the way that I'm going, you are coming also. And his disciples, hearing that, were going, what are you talking about? The way? And now, I, I, I want to preface some of this just to kind of understand what's going on here. These are the guys who've been following Jesus for three and a half years. Everywhere that he went, they went. Jesus took them to the places they didn't want to go and would have never gone personally, but everywhere that he went, they went. Now all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, I'm going and you know the way. And Thomas asks a very reasonable and simple question, and I got to give the guy a lot of credit of like, I would have been asking it too, because Thomas says in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Because he's going, normally, we just follow you. Now, you're saying you're going ahead of us. How can we know the way? It's a very innocent question. It's a very reasonable question. It's a very simple question. What is the way? And Jesus' answer is just as innocent, reasonable, and simple. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I know that this is a well-known verse, verse 6. I want to unpack it just for a brief moment. And I want to unpack it by looking at the grammar and the syntax. Because there's three nouns here that um, when we understand how they operate and function and um, interact with each other, it's really cool. You might think when you read this verse that what Jesus is saying is, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Like three separate nouns that, that all are, are equal here. But grammatically, these nouns actually aren't equal because think about the question that started this. The question from Thomas was, what is the way? So clearly, the question of what is the way is what's being asked here. And so when you look at these three nouns and when you look at the Greek, what you can realize is, as one commentator puts it, that the syntax brings the different elements of the subject into, into relationship that will ensure efficiency and harmony. What Jesus is answering is, listen, Thomas, you're asking the way in simply, what is the way? Me. I am the way. I am the way. If you want to know where I'm going, I am the way. And you could go, why am I the way? Because I am the truth. And because I am the life. Truth and life are modifying way in this way. Because Jesus is the truth and the life, he gets to be the way. And if that doesn't sound like exclusive enough, he also then says, as he continues, and no one, will come to the Father, except through me. There's no getting around this language. There's no saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and some will make it to the Father. Or, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and maybe you'll make it to the Father. No, it's, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But I want to go just a little bit deeper. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, I'll show you the way to the Father. Jesus didn't say, I'll, I'll, I'll show you what to do to get to the Father. That, if he says that, if Thomas is like, what's the way? And Jesus goes, well, follow me. Just, I'll show you the way. That would be bondage. 
think back about, oh my goodness, I can't believe, like 20, 30 years ago now. What do we used to wear as Christians on our wrists? What did Lifeway make millions over? And probably some of you, maybe one of you even has it. I've seen, it's like a throwback every once in a while. I see somebody, the WWJD bracelets, right? I mean, man, that got a lot of traction in the Christian circles. I mean, there were books and mugs and bumper stickers and T-shirts and bracelets. I, mean, I know at one point I had like a string of them halfway up my arm because that was a cool thing to do when you're in high school. I don't know why. Do, do people still wear bracelets all the time? Students, I'm getting, I'm getting one yes and a couple of no's. So clearly it's undecided. What is WWJD, that, that whole idea, what would Jesus do? It's a great question to ask. But it can also be taken wrongly. Because when we walk around and we think, what would Jesus do and I'm going to do that, we then think I have to mimic him in order to get there. It's actually more law than grace. Because what we lay on us is I have to live up to how Jesus lived. But Jesus didn't come and say, I'll show you the way you follow me. Then you can get peace with God and get to God. That would be bondage. That would be bondage because then Jesus would say, no, you've got to be perfect like me. That every single person that he would come in contact with and every single person after that would fail because no one is perfect. That's law if Jesus just came to show the way. But that's not what he says. He says, he is the way. And that no one comes to the Father except through him. The simplicity of this statement is profound. Because if we look at, let's say, the Old Testament, the Old Testament is filled with complexity. When we look at how we are to worship God, there's a, there's a lot of elements there. There's a lot of detail there. And it is, it, it, it's, I'm not criticizing any of it, throwing shade on any of it, but I mean, just think, there's tabernacles and temples and sacrifices and high priests and ceremonies and rules and regulations and dresses and eating right and not doing this and not walking here and so many laws in the Old Testament. I mean, it's this, this complex idea of like, I gotta maintain all of that. But the crazy thing is with this statement is that by God's good grace and amazing work, all of that complexity is fulfilled in the simple person of Christ. Thomas has been trained in his life to make sure that he's living right. So from a very early age in this religious context, he's got all of these rules. You should go here, not go there, do this, don't do that. Walk now, don't walk then, eat this, don't eat that. I mean, all of these rules. And so he's like, okay, how do I play this game in order to get to God? And if I do enough, then I can finally get to him. So when Thomas is, I, I think this question behind is like, Lord, show us the way. He's really going like, which door do I choose? Option one, two, or three? Should I become a Pharisee? Should I become a rabbi? Should I become a Sadducee? Should I become a, a prophet? Should I, like, what, what do I do? And Jesus breaks all of that down and goes, listen, if you're looking for the way, it's through me. Now, let's remember the desire that's in all of us from the very beginning. How can we get to God? And Jesus clearly declares, well, if you know me, and if you follow me, and if you trust in me, I'll get you to God. All of the complexity goes away. He goes, you get to God. Have you kept the law perfectly? Do you even know the law perfectly? I don't. I'm not, I'm not throwing shade at you. I'm just like, do you know the law perfectly? No. But Christ did. 
knew the law perfectly and kept it? Have you fulfilled all that God asked of you? No, but Christ did and did it perfectly. So that's why we, when we are looking to get to God, what we get to say is like, listen, all of that complexity there is beautiful language and we get to understand all that Christ did because of the Old Testament. But what we get to look at is Christ and Christ alone. He is the way. I'm gonna lock my eyes on him. He's the one who's gonna take me there. The scene goes on though. Philip, after hearing this, goes, oh, okay, so you're the way. Asks a very innocent and consistent question. I say innocent because, uh, you know, it's reasonable to ask the question he asks. But I say consistent because we can observe this in Scripture that the people who get close to God always want closer. Except when they're standing in their throne like Isaiah, and then they go, okay, close enough. Shouldn't be here. What does Philip ask? Philip said to the Lord, said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And what he heard was, I'm the way. So if you trust me, I'm going to get you to God. So Philip says, show us God so that we can know that he's at the end of this. I just want to see God, and I can make it through anything. Reasonable question. Same question that Moses had on the mountain. After communing with God for years, after seeing amazing miracles that have happened, what does he ask God? I want to see your face. And what does God do? And no, you don't. You, because you're a sinner, do not want to see my face. Because my face hates your sin. So you can see my backside after I protect you in the cleft of the rock. That, that way you can see me. But here, this is Philip's question. Show us the Father and look at Jesus' response. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? The question is like, you're, you want to see the Father. I am, Philip, the embodiment, the, 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 the physical embodiment of who God is. I make the invisible visible because I am the Father. As he goes on, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This, this link, I'm trying to figure out when the, how the Trinity works, but this link of how the Trinity works, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me also does the works. So now he's saying not only, you know, the, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, also the words of the Father are also in me. So even if you want to hear from the Father, you should listen to me. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So then he backs up and goes, if you don't believe that what I have said is the Father, and if you don't believe that I, that the Father is in me, look at the stuff that I've done that no one else has been ever able to do. I mean, you, I, I, I wonder if Jesus is exasperated at this moment. He's like, you, are you kidding me? What do you think I'm doing? But that's because Philip and Thomas and even us is still understanding that God's self-disclosure is through his son. So if you have a question, what would God be like on this earth? What would God be like if he took on flesh? You have the answer. Christ. This is Colossians 1. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and, and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him 
all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent from him. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Philip says, show me the Father. And Jesus says, I have that. Philip wants to see him, and Jesus' response is simple. Look to me. But as we close out this section, there is an even more crazy reality that Christ declares. Because he says, Philip, you want to see the Father, look to me. But if we keep reading what we see Christ say to Philip and to us as his disciples is even more mind-blowing. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Well, we'll just stop right there. Again, his disciples have been walking with him and seeing all of the signs and miracles. His disciples have been like, huh? You walked on water. You healed blind men. You, you, made, you multiplied food from nothing. You made water out of wine. You raised Lazarus from the grave. You won all of these debates, you, you, huh? I'm, okay, that, all of the works. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Then he doubles down. The greater works than these will he do. Why? Because I'm going to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What's this verse 12 talking about? Because he even starts with truly, truly. Verily, verily, in the, in the King James. You know, amen and amen. I mean, it's like stamp of approval. He wants to get their attention. Listen, you need to hear this. Truly, truly, whoever believes in me will also do the works that he is doing. Is, is, is he saying, is, is really God saying that we're going to display a work that is greater than God's? That is greater than Christ's? That is better than? That is more powerful than? That is, no. How in the world are we ever going to be more powerful than Jesus? This isn't saying that there's somebody coming that's stronger than me, that's more divine than me, that's better than me, that's more majestic than me, that's more godly than me because God is 100% God. Jesus is 100% God. So it's not like Jesus can go, somebody's coming that's more God than I am. No, rather what he is saying is that we are going to do greater work from a um, display standpoint. We are going to greater display his works in a fuller understanding to a greater audience than he will. And, and I know it sounds crazy. Some of you right now are giving me the eyebrow look up like, huh? Think about it. Jesus walked around in a very small section of this earth and interacted with a very few people when you start to look at the number of people on this earth. He did very few miracles. It was a very short ministry, three and a half years. That's it. And it, it was enough because he clearly demonstrated over that three and a half years that he was God. He clearly died on the cross and, and, and satisfied God's wrath for all of our sin. But what Jesus is saying here is my mission is not done yet. 
My works are not going to be over yet. Think about it. The upper room discourse is setting up the disciples for his departure. He knows I'm about to go away. I need to have a conversation with you so that when I go away, you're not going to completely freak out. They did freak out until he came back, but that's a whole other thing. So Jesus is like, listen, I'm setting this mission up for success. So when he says, you're going to do greater works than I am going to do, why? Because once I go to the Father, once I die on the cross and I raise again, once I prove that I had victory over death itself, once I ascend to the Father and I sit at his right hand as mediator for eternity as he is at this very moment in bodily form, once I do that, what's going to happen to you as my disciples in the church is that you will have the opportunity to take that message, take this work and proclaim it to the entire world. Last week, I, I was up in our, Sunday, in our Sunday school, and I would totally commend our Sunday school hour to you. It's from 9 to 10. We're going through the book of Ephesians at the moment, which is just a beautiful picture of the church and the family of God. But this section, we were looking at the, at, at the last section of Ephesians 1, and it's this proclamation, prayer, um, pronouncement that Paul just breaks out in song. But as he's describing Christ, he says this, this is Ephesians 1, through 23. And he put all things under his feet. Sounds like Colossians, I know. And gave him as head over all things to the church. And how does 23 start? Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I know it's mind-blowing to think about the church this way. And it's hard for us to even kind of realize the, the role that we play in it. But we are the fullness of Christ. And we're the fullness of Christ not because we add anything to him, but rather we're the fullness of Christ because we fully display who Christ is to the world. What was started in Galilee during a three and a half year ministry with a group of 12 at the Pentecost spread to thousands immediately, but now it's spread all over the world. And what a few people heard about because they interacted with Jesus, now the entire world can hear about, not because they interact with Jesus, but rather they interact with us as the church, interact with you personally, and they see Jesus in you. They realize as we walk around, they go, you're different. You, you, you don't act as the world does. You're not following the the, 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 the messaging of the enemy, you're following something different. You, you're not looking at these, um, you know, all, all these other kind of multiple ways of getting to heaven. You've actually found peace. And we as his church get to come in and say, yeah, let me tell you about my Savior. The clear picture of what is the way will be manifested in the body of Christ. Again, that's what the question that started all of this section. Thomas, what is the way? And the answer to that can be seen in us. Because when Thomas asks what is the way, he's still going, I don't know. Like he has doubts. But when you look at, as Hebrew says, the great cloud of witnesses, when you look at the body of Christ, both here in this building, we are just a fragment, a picture of that. And all over the hundreds, thousands, I don't know, haven't counted, of churches in Nashville and Tennessee and in America and all over the world, all of us as the universal church are a clear picture 
of what is the way. I want to return to the, you know, the principles that we started with, with the I am statement. The world doesn't like this I am statement because they don't like to be told that what they're trusting in won't work. That's ultimately what we do when we walk up and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And if somebody or some, if somebody is trusting in something different than Christ, what we're also saying is your way is wrong. They don't like that. It's interesting how even some Christians want to tone that down. Tone down this exclusive language. Tone down the exclusivity of Christ. Tone down the there's only one way language. But Christ didn't. Because Christ knew that in the end, the only way to have peace with God was not through man trying to earn it. And if you look at all of the other religions out there, what they have in common is it's at the, at the base, at the core, at the foundation, it's a message of law. If you're faithful enough in obeying these statutes and obeying these rules and doing these things and appeasing this God, then you can have peace. That's all law and it's all put on their shoulders. What's different about Christ? It's a message of grace. It's, there's no message of, if you follow me good enough, if you make it far enough, if you do enough, then you'll be good, then you'll have peace. No, Christ, Christ breaks through all that and says, listen, your only hope is through me because I am the only way. Christ is different than them all. He did it all. He accomplished it all. He finished it for us and he is offering us the peace that we so desperately need. If we turn our attention towards communion this morning, that's what, as always, we get to celebrate. This communion table is not a potluck. No one asks you to bring anything and offer your own kind of participation trophy and, 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 and demonstrate this is what I've done this week. No, we take this, looking away from all of our weaknesses, all of our sins, all of our struggles, we take this and we go, my only hope in life and death, as we say, is in Jesus Christ our Lord. If you're here today and you have placed your faith in Christ, you believe and that exclusive statement of my only hope in life and death is Christ, that is, that is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we can stand before God reconciled to him. I would encourage you to take this table with us and be reminded that the life and the death that you need are found in him, and he is sufficient. But if you're here with us this morning, maybe this is your first time to church, maybe this is um, somebody brought you because it's Mother's Day, and you haven't placed your faith in Christ we would ask that you just let these elements pass you by. Ultimately, because we don't want them to confuse you. We don't take these to fill us up in Christ. Again, we don't take this even to check some box. We take them to be reminded of what our Savior has done. And we don't want that to confuse you, but here's what I do want to do. I'd love to have a conversation with you after the service and declare to you, offer to you, and, and implore you that the only way that your heart and your soul can find peace is by looking to Christ. Let's pray and we can take this table together. Lord, thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for this message. Thank you that what cuts through all of the craziness, all of the brokenness, all of the garbage that this world throws at us is a very simple message.
message. We look to Christ and Christ alone. Lord, I know that there are some who have done so much stuff. There's so much brokenness. There's so much bondage. There's so much sin in their life that they can think, nope, I've out sinned to God. He won't accept me. Lord, break them of their pride and comfort their hearts to see that regardless of what it is, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God when he, when he, when he determines to love us. Lord, break their hearts and their prides and have them run to you because you are a gracious Savior. Lord, thank you for this moment that we can be reminded as always the only hope we have, the only peace that we can have, the only way to you is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's be with us now as we take your table in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.